Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 31 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, and I'm joined today in this special extra edition of the podcast. We had an episode on Tuesday. We have another episode on Thursday. Joined today by Chris Boyle. Chris is the superintendent at Mendham Golf and Tennis Club in northern New Jersey. It is home of the Lynx, a unique nine-hole short course built on top of two acres. Two acres. That's basically two big lots in the suburbs. It includes just two bunkers and three greens. It was originally planned as a practice area. It is really cool. Among all the short courses that are popping up across the country and around the world, the Lynx really does kind of provide evidence that you don't need a lot of land and you don't need a bigger crew. At Mendham, it's one group that mows the greens and rakes the bunkers during just their normal jobs. If you have any questions about a potential short course at your own club, Chris says, give them a call. Before you do that, though, listen to the podcast. And before you listen to the podcast, listen to a quick word from CPRO, the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are critical in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but they also help manage and enhance poa annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass and Legacy and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. If you listen to episode 30, you heard that my lawn, my little postage stamp lawn, which is much smaller than the Lynx short course, is in dire need of some PGRs and some weed control, but it's going to have to settle for a good mow tonight. Anyway, the full lineup of products from CPRO work hard to ensure that your course is consistently looking its best Visit them at cpro, S-E-P-R-O, dot com to learn more. In just a moment, about 15 seconds, Chris Boyle of Mendham Golf and Tennis Club. My guest on this episode of Beyond the Page, again, Chris Boyle, for more than 25 years, the superintendent at Mendham Golf and Tennis Club. You can read about some of the work that he's done at Mendham in the May issue, a great short course stories by Guy Cipriano, No Land is Too Small. Before we get into that and the incredible two-acre short course that they built on site, Chris, I'm going to quit rambling myself. Welcome to the podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking with Golf Course Industry twice, once for print, once for a podcast. Before we start talking about your collaboration and, and the team's collaboration with Robert McNeil to, to create this incredible course, you've been at Mendham for more than 25 years now. What has kept you there? You know, I think that this is a, uh, it's just the right fit for me. When I I started in the industry, I was at a 27-hole uh, 
kind of resort public course in my town. And uh, after graduating college, I went to work down at Augusta National. So I kind of had both extremes in the early in my career. Uh, When I moved on from there as an assistant at a club back here in New Jersey, it was kind of a higher end private club. And uh, two years there as an assistant, I got an opportunity, interviewed and and got this job at Mendham. And uh, I don't think I've I don't think I've even looked to leave here in all the years I've been here. It's just, it's, it's a very nice club. It's a little bit low key. We're, we're not a country club like uh, a lot of our neighbors. Um, no caddies, no valet parking, no shoe shine. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a neat place, uh, you know, for a northern New Jersey private club, and uh, it's the kind of place that I've felt at home they welcomed me here we we made a lot of improvements over the years and we're still making improvements and uh it's just it's just been a good home and a very good fit for me and in northern new jersey you're less than 50 miles from manhattan and that whole area that whole tri-state area the stereotype is that it's so competitive but you seem a little more relaxed a little more laid back maybe uh very much so it's uh it's it's a unique club. I mean every club is unique in their own way. Um and this club is no different. Or uh I don't want to say to say that we're a value club. I don't maybe I don't it doesn't I don't mean it to to degrade the club, but uh I think that our our members feel like they get a lot for what they pay. Our, our memberships are less than what a lot of the other clubs are, but our our amenities are less than what a lot, a lot of the other clubs are. Our maintenance budget is less than what a lot of the other clubs are. Uh, our level of maintenance on the golf course is a little bit less than you know what a, a lot of our neighbors are. But uh, that's a, it's a niche in this area. Uh, our membership is full. We've been full. We've had a long waiting list for the majority of the time I've been here, and it's, uh, it's, it's just kind of a unique place. Throughout most of the 60s, it opened in 61. So from 61 to 69, it was a nine-hole course uh, designed by Al- Alfred Tall, added nine more in 1969. The big renovation, the big addition in recent years, because you weren't there in the 60s, we're not going to talk about the 60s, right. the Mad Men age, is the addition of this incredible two-acre short course. And you worked with Robert McNeil, the architect. And it was really, I believe, the exact quote that you had in the story was, it was basically turning a grassy mound into a playable golf area. And you said to me that's very rewarding. So before we get into the reception to the course, I'm curious... What was the vision to take this two-acre grassy mound, which had septic equipment underneath, on the surface, doesn't sound like a very playable area. What was the vision to turn it into this incredible short course? Yeah, just a, 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 sh- a short backstory behind sure. that. It's, this area is adjacent to the maintenance building. And in 2015 we did a large expansion to the maintenance building. Included in that project was a bioretention basin that we had to build for 
stormwater runoff collection for the facility. And just the way that that uh, stormwater runoff facility was located, how deep it had to be, the, all the engineering behind it, we, had a, we, had, we dug a big hole in the ground. We had a huge amount of fill from this excavation that we had to use up, uh, which we did on the golf course and a couple of golf holes in that immediate area. We created some mounding, uh, took down a few trees, did a, some large series of mounding, separate the holes, but we still had extra material. And I believe it was one of our club members who was uh, helping with the project, supervised the project from the club's perspective, came up with the idea of why don't we use this material in this, we'll call it a vacant field, and create a practice area. And so what started out as a place to just lose and, and dump and dispose of extra fill material, uh, out of that necessity came this idea of creating a practice area on what was basically a vacant piece of land. Just, in, just We mowed it as a field, relatively flat with a, with a slight grade or slope to it. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, I'm pretty sure it was one of our members came up with that idea. Now, you're quick to give credit where it's due. You didn't come up with it. A member came up with it. You were the one who collaborated, though, with, with Robert McNeil, correct? Uh, so Robert was doing or and has done a, a lot of our golf course work. Uh, he's done a master plan and an update to our master plan. I think we've worked with him since 2004 or oh, wow. 2003. So he was involved in the process of creating these mounds and, and – uh, redoing some bunkering, and when we did this large, because this bioretention basin was ended up being right in the middle of the golf course. So we definitely used his experience and his knowledge to help us uh, with that work and how it impacted the golf course. So he was involved right from the beginning when we presented him with this idea of creating this practice area. We knew we weren't going to be able to build it right away, I think the uh, the budget for the maintenance building was already a, a real tight squeeze to get everything done that we needed to. So Robert went to his drawing board and he drew up some plans uh, with a, a lot of support mounding and, and a lot of fill and, and how to use this material. And he came back to the club with uh, with a concept plan for for this practice, which initially it was supposed to be a practice area. It's, it's not how we use it today, but that was part of the evolution of this project. It, uh, it, it wasn't from the very beginning designed to be what it is. It, it, it kind of morphed into this over, over time. What was that timeline? What was that process from practice facility to three green nine-hole course? Yeah, so in 2015, we did the rough shaping. So they, they put all the material up in place. The, the golf course construction company that was here and the on-site bulldozed and leveled with Robert's, uh, you know, waving of the hands, I want this green pad here and the support mounding is going to be here and this other green pad here and let's dig out a little hollow here because this is where the bunker is going to be. And at the end of that process, we basically threw a, 
you know, grass seed and hydro mulch over the whole area, and we just grew it in as grass for erosion stabilization for the first year. Uh, the second year in 2016, we we then brought in an irrigation company, and they put in all the pipe underground for sprinklers for around the greens and our fairway area and some of the green perimeters. And then 2017, we basically went in and killed all the grass and mowed it down as low as we could and started the process of turning what was basically grassy mounds and green pads into into a golf course. Uh, that's something that our staff did 95% of the work. Uh, was fortunate with our club to not necessarily have a timeline or a deadline uh, to save some money. The club, you know, asked if we could do it with some of the equipment that we had on on our on our time when we could fit it in. And I mean, it took a good three or four months to do most of this work over the course of you know April, May, June, July of 2017. And so yeah, we started the beginning of the year with a, sort of a grassy grassy mounds, grassy field, and uh, by the end of the season, we had uh, grown in the greens, we'd created the bunkers, we'd grown in the fairway. It's kind of a kind of nice to do when you didn't necessarily have a deadline. We still had a golf course to maintain, um, so we did it, you know, in our spare time, stayed late some afternoons, you know, maybe took a little bit away from, from some golf course maintenance to bring some crews up there to, to do some work, but but we were we were fortunate in that we we could do it on our own time. That made it a lot easier for our staff to get it done. So you finish all the prep work, you get it going, the course opens up, and I have to imagine, I have to imagine, it has to be true, right? It opens up to rave reviews and it's packed every single day. It has to be right. Uh you would think. <laughs> you would think we've added this brand new we opened it for play in, I believe it was the end of April or early May of, of 2018. Everything was ready. Greens were grown in. And uh, I, I don't know that it was, it was right at the time. Maybe our membership was down a little bit. The members that were here seemed to be working a little bit harder, not playing as much golf. Our rounds were down a little bit. And I don't, I don't, I mean, we certainly promoted it, but uh, I'm not sure that the people really understood quite what it was for or, or how to use it. Because we had transitioned at, at the time when we created it, it was to be a practice area. But the more we thought about it, we, we weren't sure we were going to be able to put in the time and effort to maintain it if we had you know, hundreds of divots and ball marks in the greens all day. So I think we came up with the idea of making it a par three course, which I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I I didn't embrace the idea from the very <laughs> beginning. It It's not your typical par three course where, where you sort of have a tee, you hit to a green, you, you move on to the next tee, you hit to another green, maybe it wanders through the woods a little bit or um, this this was in my mind from from the very beginning it, it was a practice facility how, how are we going to make this sort of rectangular shaped uh, area with three greens in, in three of the corners how, how are we going to make this a, 
a par three course. But we talked about it, and uh, we put some thought into it. And uh, when we opened up, we were we were a par three course. Kind of the interesting thing about it is, just like a member would sign up for a tennis court for an hour, uh, members can book this facility. They call it the links. They can book the links for an hour. You can book it for two hours, I guess, or, or three hours, but. They, they discourage people from going there and dropping 10 and 15 and 20 balls and, and, and using it as a practice area. It's meant to be kind of played in the, in the rotation that we had set it up as. But for, for one hour at a time, you know, these two acres are yours, whether it's you or a couple other members or your family or who, whoever you bring over with you. But because of the routing that we came up with, there's some crossing back and forth. You hit to a green, then the next tee area might be right adjacent to that green. So it, it just didn't work to have more than, say, one, one foursome at a time over there. So it's, uh, it's kind of neat in that it's, it's yours. It's yours for the hour. And the popularity, like you said, didn't really take off in 2018 when it opened. Like a lot of golf courses and, and golf facilities as well, it really took the start of the pandemic, you were closed for, I think it was about five or six weeks. And when you reopened, like a lot of places, rounds were up, uh, available tee times were down. And so out of necessity, a lot of members gravitated toward the links and right. you were just packed from that point on. And from there, uh, you said people maybe didn't get it from the start. It seems like they got it pretty quickly uh, when they were playing it an hour at a time in May and June and July of 2020. Yeah, when 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 we reopened from COVID, it was twosomes only every I think 16 minutes, and with a lot of people home, with a lot of people either working from home or or not traveling, or you couldn't go to the movies or out to dinner, but you could go to your club and play golf. We were every every obviously every tee time on the golf course was booked, but every hour of available time for the links you know, became booked because at least you could go out for an hour and be outside and play golf. And I think for the majority of the first year of COVID, we, we had that facility booked from, from uh, the first time in the morning till the end of the day. And we had people that, you know, bad mouth it. Why are we wasting our money doing this? Who's going to use this? Uh, I don't think that'll ever work. Uh, by the end of that year, they, they sort of were forced to go there because maybe they couldn't get out on the golf course. And I think it really changed a lot of people's minds, and including myself. Once, once we got out there and started using it, we found out what a, what a neat little facility it, that it turned out to be. You mentioned right before we started recording that and you don't have to name names here, certainly, but other superintendents, other courses have reached out to you to inquire, hey, how's that work? What, what, what do you do over there? Like, how, how did you put this together? You've, you've had some interest. You've had some conversations from other courses. Yeah, I think the neat thing is that, I mean, I've, I, I play a lot of golf. I, I love going to other golf clubs and, and see what they're doing. The one thing I've seen in the last 10 years that maybe we didn't used to see is practice facilities are being created and built in in any little piece of of the property that that they can whether it's a a larger putting green uh, a chipping green a couple of bunkers i think today's golfers 
don't have as much time to spend on the golf course playing around a golf, but they might have an hour and, you know, they don't want to just go to the practice range and, and hit drivers and, and wedges out, you know, into a field all the time. They, they want to work on that short part of their game. So I've seen it happening at a lot of clubs around here. Sometimes that little piece of property is on the other side, you know, as far from the clubhouse as it could be, or, or it's a long walk. It's not always convenient. Clubs don't always have the available space, you know, right next to their clubhouse. This this certainly isn't directly adjacent to our clubhouse. It's a, it's a couple of golf holes away, and it's directly adjacent to the maintenance building. So it, uh, it, it isn't completely convenient for the membership to use, but it's it's not that inconvenient either. But I think that any opportunity that a club has to add, uh, whether it's a practice area or, you know, in our case, the practice area that evolved into, you know, a short course, uh, I think clubs are, are willing to make that investment because that's what uh, the golfers are looking for today. One of the other things about the links, and I don't know if this comes up in any of those conversations with clubs looking to repurpose some of their land, but you mentioned earlier that there's not as much maintenance on the course in general, and there's there's certainly less maintenance on the links than if it were a practice facility. And a, and a quote from the story, because it's utilized as a golf course, there aren't as many divots, there aren't as many ball marks, there aren't people tearing up the bunkers with all their practice. And so your crew mows the three greens, the surrounding turf surfaces, and they rake, <laughs> it's amazing, there are two bunkers, uh, just on their morning maintenance routes. So it's not like your crew has to go out of their way or schedule anything in addition to what they're already doing, really. Right. It's, you know, for the for the guys that rake bunkers in the morning, it added two more bunkers to their route. We've already got 68 or 70 on the course, so what was two more? To the guys that mow greens in the morning, uh, the average green size, we've got three greens up here, and and the average green size is... 3,800 square feet. So it's it's not a very big green to mow. We just worked it into the morning routine, and maybe they're out there an extra 10 or 15 minutes than they would have been. We come back after mowing fairways. It's a it's a half acre fairway area. It's an extra 10 minutes of mowing for the guys. So just uh, it kind of worked out great. I know that if they decided to use this as a practice facility, with with as much as our members like to practice, we really would have had to add another staff member to our department to just go up and maintain that particular area. As it is now, it, it just kind of worked into, you know, our overall program without having to increase our budget or add another staff member. It's, uh, it worked out nice that way. And I've written so many stories the last three or so years about short courses, whether it's par threes or uh, nine holers, just anything that's not a 7,000-yard, 18-hole course. I mean, you, you have one on your property, uh, this, the 9-hole the short course. It really is maybe not the future, but a future of golf. It, it's a great entry point for kids. It's a great place for maybe newer or older golfers to come. Uh, what's, your, what's your perspective on what it offers and, and more so what it can be? The fact that it's next to the maintenance building means that I get to see what's <laughs> happening on there a lot. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I get so excited. I've seen grandparents up there with, with their kids 
or parents, you know, with their young kids. I've seen husbands whose wives, you know, don't play golf. They're trying to introduce their wife to the game so that, look, that's, that's your place for an hour. You're not bothering anybody else. You're not holding anybody up. That's, that's your space. And uh, I've seen, you know, some of our single-digit handicap members go there, whether it's before or after a round with, with their guests or, or some other members, and, and have some fun betting on uh, closest to the pin or most birdies or, or however they do it. It's utilized now in, in so many different ways. Um, they also do, they do use it as a practice area when we do the kids' camps in the summer. It's, it's kind of an ideal situation because it gets, you know, the 20 or 30 kids that are in the kids' camp, kind of gets them away from the back of the clubhouse where our putting green or our practice area is. And now they've got a space where, where uh, you know, they can be introduced to the game and have clinics and uh, hoot and holler and, and have some fun and make some noise. And, and they don't kind of interfere with, the rest of the membership up near the clubhouse. So it's just neat to see how many different ways uh, that the area is utilized. I, I know for sure that we've got at least two members here that were right on the fence of leaving the club. They, they didn't feel like they got enough use. They didn't have time to play the golf course uh, four or five hours on a, on a weekend morning. But that one hour that they can come over here, they can play – if you play by yourself, you can kind of play 18 holes of golf in in an hour. And uh, that facility has kept a couple of those members here at the club because now they have that amenity and it's kept them interested. And, yeah, they, they still don't get out on the big courses as much as they would like, but, but it, with an hour of free time, they can get their golf fix in. And, and uh, that's kept them here for sure. And a lot like... Brushing your teeth, it's better to brush your teeth for two or three or four minutes a day, every day, rather than 20 minutes, one day a week. For some people, maybe yeah. it's better to play an hour a day than it is to play uh, five hours one day a week. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's, um, I mean, I, I try and sneak up there once in a while. If, if I see nobody signed up for it, you know, I, maybe I haven't been on the golf course or, and, and gotten out <laughs> to play a little bit, but I, I can grab a putter and, and two wedges and I can get, you know, nine holes in, in, uh, in, you know, 25 minutes up there. It's, uh, we've got anywhere. I think our shortest hole is 46 yards and the longest is 110 and uh, various lengths in between. So you, it's really neat to, to, to work on your short game and your approach shots and your putts and, uh, we try to encourage what we did up there was we we built what I'll call the teeing area for each, you know, there's nine teeing areas. There's three around each green. And we created a like a seven-foot diameter circle, put it in the ground with artificial turf. So that kind of directs people where the next tee is, uh, some people like to hit off the artificial turf. It's fine. I've encouraged people to not hit off the artificial turf. If you want to work on your game, take five paces back and, and give yourself kind of an uphill lie or, or five paces to the side and give yourself a side hill lie or a downhill lie 
and you know work on different parts of your game as opposed to just go into we call it that, those level areas with the turf you know take a take a shot from the bunker you you can have an 80 yard bunker shot which is something that most of us don't ever get to practice and uh, you know you can do that here so it's it's a uh, it's a par 3 course we also try to encourage you know a, a, a skills work, work on some different skills while you're there uh, as far as giving yourself different lies. I almost didn't ask this, but because you mentioned that you do try to get out every now and then if there's nobody on the on the course, you hit the ceremonial first shot, and you hit it to within about seven feet. Any holes in one since that ceremonial first shot for you? Uh, I had one prior to that, but not okay. since. Okay. Not since, but I've had... There's been several people up there that have had holes in one, you know, as they're playing, and it's just, it doesn't matter to them whether it's the big course or not. They're so excited about it. Um, it's something they'll remember and talk about. And, uh, yeah, I was, af- it was, uh, I was afraid I was, because I think somebody sponsored a prize for that when we had our, our opening ceremony. And I was glad a little later in that afternoon when somebody got one closer, I, I kind of didn't want to win that and take it away from somebody. But I, I, was, I was honored and thrilled when they asked me to, to kind of do the ribbon cutting and, and hit the first shot. That was, that was kind of neat. Well, Chris, this was tremendous. Before I let you go, anything else that you want to mention, anything you want to plug or promote, whether it's the Lynx short course or, or anything else? Yeah, I just think if you know, it was a, it was a great collaboration between our architects, you know, myself and the maintenance staff, the membership. Um, anything that anybody can do on on their facility uh, to add a golf amenity, a golf experience. I think today's golfers are are looking for that. They're excited about it. They don't have uh, as much time to be on the golf course, so they're looking for other opportunities uh, to work on their their skills, maybe introduce their kids to the game, and, uh, you know, find that piece of of property, of real estate, if if you can, uh, on your site, and be creative about it. And uh, like I said, from the beginning, I, I thought, one thing, this is a practice area. This isn't a par three course, but it's uh, it's evolved into that, and, and I've certainly changed my mind about it. So be open to, to different ideas. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real great amenity for our club, and I'm, I was, I'm so glad we did it and uh, was proud to be a part of it. And uh, I can't wait to come back here in 20, 25 years, and, and, and hopefully it's still there and, and get to know that, you know, we had a big part in it. You said that if you have a legacy for any reason, it's going to be this. Uh, I think it will be. It's, uh, it's, it's something that I, I was so directly involved in that, um, you know, some of the things on the golf course, they, they get kind of lost or blended in with the overall. But this, this, one, this one facility here is something that I was so involved in that uh, it's kind of got my name on it for now. You know, mine and, and others for sure, but it's, it's kind of got my name on it now for uh, – for, for the membership that's here. Well, I hope to see it in person one day. Hope to meet you in person one day. Until then, Chris Boyle, Superintendent at Mendham Golf and Tennis Club in northern New Jersey. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time. 
Uh, You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks again to Chris Boyle for taking some time to go beyond the page and talk about the Lynx short course at Mendham Golf and Tennis Club. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. Their full line of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best. They're available online at cpro, S-E-P-R-O, dot com. And, as always, thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with NV Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays and, occasionally, extra episodes on Thursdays. Real Turf Text with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of each month. Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of each month. Our May issue will be online early next week at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. It includes Guy's story about the Lynx and Chris Boyle. It includes features by Guy and me about a trio of Chicagoland nine-holers. There's a great story in there by Lee Carr about turf pro inventors and a lot more. Even more stories and news are available in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up directly on our homepage at www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell, our columnists. They're great. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Horton. We have a fantastic team of regular contributors. Trent Bouts, Tyler Bloom, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. We'll have another summer intern starting in like a week and a half. By the time you listen to this, you'll hear more about her pretty soon. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner is our national sales manager. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers and Amanda Cafardi make sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Irene Sweeney does everything and more. Ryan Jacobs, Anna Kolar, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andorada, and Patrick Briand are our IT team. Cody and Anna, they're telling me I'm getting a new work computer. That's exciting. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without you. Thank you so much for listening.